Thanks for joining us on the Oasis Church Podcast. To find out more about Oasis, visit CelebrateTheJourney.org. During this episode, Pastor Dennis Ritchie shares a great message that will lead you to new and deeper levels with Jesus Christ. So open up a Bible, grab a notebook, or simply listen along. Let's pray and then we'll begin. Father, Father, we do we, we want to hold up our, our children's ministry and all those who are part of it this morning. That you would continue to bless the teachers, the helpers, the nursery workers. And Lord, that you would raise up more men and women to pastor this younger generation. Father, we ask a, a special blessing on Melissa as she leads. I pray, Father, that our volunteers in that ministry will never, never feel undervalued. But that as a church body, we will always show our gratitude to them. And Father, let you pour out a blessing upon them. And as we look into your word this morning... Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. And God bless you. <laughs> so, <clears throat> I'm praying that I'm not going to cough. The, the Christmas story... It's probably like the one of the most beautifulest. Is that a word? Beautifulest. We we invented a word yet last week, right? Wasing. <clears throat> Jesus was always wasing. Um, but it's like it's like one of the most beautifulest stories ever written. Like, like I can, I was thinking this past week. Remember the? Um, I think it's the the old school Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer cartoon with like the. It's not really well done, but Burl Ives was the snowman, and he would tell the story. Or like James Earl Jones, like reading the nativity story dramatically. Like it would just be like, oh. No, huh? Well, anyway. So anyway. But it really is a very powerful story, even for people who don't attend church, even for people who, who get caught up in the cultural side of Christmas. And what makes it even more amazing is that it's true. Like, what makes the story just so amazingly beautiful is that it's not the, it's not the invention of, of human imagination or fiction, but it's a true story. God, when the time was right, sent his one and only son to dwell among his creation, to dwell among his people. It's, it's just an amazing pow if, if you allow yourself to really spend some time pressing into it. It's the birth of God, the Son, here on this planet, on earth. But the story really begins, it doesn't begin, it's just not a New Testament gig. The story begins in Genesis chapter 3 after uh, humanity has decided that they're going to go their own way. In Genesis 3, this is what the Lord says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now God is speaking to the serpent, Satan. 
And God is saying, listen, at the right time, this is the way this whole thing is going to play out. And it wasn't that God had to come up with a plan at that moment going, okay, they messed up. I gotta, we got to come up with something here, Jesus. It's always been the plan. It, from, from the beginning of, see, beginning isn't the right word. God always has had this plan. Now fast forward a bunch of years. And there was this little peasant girl in a poor little village. And in the Bible, the story is called the Annunciation. Like this angel comes to her and tells her things that are going to happen. Things are going to change. Things are going to get a little, a little dicey for her over the next coming days, months. The setting for all of that taking place would be, would have been a very perplexing story for the first, second century Jews to hear. Because this angel, Gabriel, who I might add, he, he's, he's, up, he's one of the head honchos in the angel ranks. Gabriel, he, he bypasses Judea. Now, Judea is kind of the heartland of God's work throughout the centuries. It's kind of his, his, his operating territory. It's his turf. But he, he bypasses Judea, and he heads to this place called Galilee. Which, if you were Jewish in the first century, you would kind of frown upon the region of Galilee. Um, the, the purity of the, the Jewish heritage was being watered down there. It was being lost. And not only was Judea bypassed, but Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, for this little backwoods country village called Nazareth. Now, it was, it was beyond a small hick village. In fact, it would be considered throughout history as a non-place. Go figure. It's never really mentioned in the Old Testament. Josephus doesn't mention it in his historical writings. The prominence of the town only comes through the gospel and the writers as they are sharing the birth of Jesus. And so in this poor village, which was very corrupt, it was overrun by Gentiles, us, Romans, Roman soldiers. In fact, Nathaniel would say in John chapter 1, he said, can anything good come from Nazareth? And it's because they had a very good, solid, great reputation as being miserably corrupt in the, in the village. So Gabriel, past Judea, past Jerusalem, past the temple, which is considered the, the house of God. It's where the Holy of Holies is. He visits this little home, humble, poor home of a peasant girl named Mary. Now scholars are kind of uh, in between. Uh, some put her age at maybe 12 Others maybe as old as 14. We'll split the difference. And let's just say Mary is a, a 13-year-old girl. Too young to have experienced anything in, real in life. Uh, too young to have accomplished anything. From her cultural, her socioeconomic place, she would never really accomplish anything. She was probably illiterate. The only scripture that she would know would be scripture that she had heard and, and maybe memorized because, again, she, she can't read. She was destined to, to marry someone who was poor. And she was destined to have poor children. She was 
probably destined never to travel much, very far from her home, she would basically live and die in obscurity. She would be, she was born poor, she married poor, and she would die poor. And yet the greatest news that's ever been spoken in the history of the world, before then and even into the future, would come to one of the humblest of nobodies, this little girl named Mary. In fact, nine months later, shepherds who were very low on the socioeconomic ladder, a whole choir of angels would appear to them, these, these humble nobodies, and, and proclaim the Messiah. For unto you born this day in the city of David, the Savior who is Christ the Lord. You see, right at the start, the Christmas story is about God coming to the poor, the broken, the humble, the, the, the nobodies. In the world's eyes, these people were, were nobody. See, Christmas, it's not for the proud. It's not for the, the self-sufficient or the arrogant. Christmas, Christmas is really for those who know that they're in need. And they're in need of God. They can't make it without him. And here's the beauty. God comes to us. God comes to us. He made the ultimate house call. First John says that, that he dwelt among us. He pitched his tent among our tents. And the reason he comes to the humble and the broken and those who are aware of their need is because you can't be saved unless you're in, you know you're in need of saving. And so we're going to look at the story of Mary and uh, we're going to read the whole text. It's only about eight verses, and then we're going to go back and kind of unpack it like we did last week. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You will call, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who's said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So Gabe stops in to this young girl, Mary. And it's not the first time that he's visited in the context of kind of preparing for the Savior's, ver uh, Savior's birth. He appeared to Zechariah 
father of who would be John the Baptist. And they have this uh, exchange, and, and Zechariah kind of doubts what's going to happen. And, and kind of like in, in, um, in the book of Daniel, uh, Zechariah, he can't talk until his son is born. And so there's this, this real kind of appearance of the angel Gabriel. And, but I, I, wonder, I wonder how he showed up to Mary. Now, you remember, this is a, a, a 13-year-old girl. And this is Gabriel, an angel in the Lord's army. Like, was his sword on fire and, and his wings really big and in the white robe, like we kind of paint the pictures? Or did he just come dressed as a normal man? Not sure, but what we do know is there was something about his appearance that made Mary pay attention and look to him as, as someone different. And so the greeting is very necessary because it might have been a little freaky that this angel of the Lord was going to come to this young girl. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And how true this favor is because Mary herself would come to realize that going forward throughout all of the generations that she is going to be called blessed. She is going to carry the son of God. Like if if Jesus resembled anyone here on earth, he would have the face of Mary. There would be a, a physical resemblance. Could you imagine that honor that she is going to carry God's son? And see, the challenge we have today with Mary, I think, is... In in some traditions, they make too much of her. But we have to be very careful that we we make too little of her. Because the Lord came to her and said, You who are favored by God, the Lord is with you. You are going to give birth. There's going to be this this miraculous thing that's going to happen to you. And so we have this twofold greeting, favored in the presence of the Lord. And Mary was, was troubled. She's kind of wondering, like, what, what is this guy saying to me? And, and, and this whole idea of being troubled wasn't like a fear thing, but she was kind of pressing in to try to understand and figure out what the word of God, what God was trying to say to her. What does this all mean? She just didn't take it on a very superficial level. She wanted to press into it and get an get a understanding of Wait, wait, this angel has just said to me, I am highly favored, and the Lord is, is with me, this, this peasant girl who, uh, of, of nothing? And so she's taking time to reflect, to meditate on this message from God. I think it's a very fitting perspective for our society and our culture, especially as Christians, because... Christians, church people, are as busy and as distracted as people who don't follow Jesus. And that's, that's just the truth. We have, uh, it feels like we're always doing 100 miles an hour with everything. Everything needs to get done yesterday, and I have the list, the honeydew list will never go away, and it's going, 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 and it's going. And we don't take time to consider the word of God. Psalm 119 and verse 70, 78, the writer says that I will meditate on your, on God's precepts. And if you read Psalm 1, Psalm 1 talks about the, 
the characteristics or the attributes of a person who is blessed by the Lord. And one of those characteristics is, I will meditate on your word, on your law, day and night. That's an all-encompassing. God's word is always up here, in here. As... as as I meet with my, um, my pastor's group on Wednesday, we, we see this trend that, that, is, that is taking place in the church. And it's the trend of people neglecting to read the word of God. Now, I'm not saying this happens here, obviously not. Uh, but in those other churches um, that I meet with, those people, um, I pray for them a lot because... <laughs> uh, but anyway, I digress. Um, so, so there's this trend that, that we've lost the priority of the word of God in our daily lives. And so, so to meditate on God's word, to contemplate, to, to marinate all of the things that God has said, it requires the church to slow down. It requires us to take a pause and take a break. That, that, the, that the word of God would trouble us in the sense of we want and desire a deeper, meaningful understanding. See, meditation on the word of God is a spiritual discipline, and it doesn't come easy because we're so distracted. Ask Dave Miners. I don't even know if he's here, but Dave Miners. He's been doing it, well, he's been doing it for 30 years, for the last five years, so you've got to be up to 35 now, no? So, so, so he, 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 um, he teaches or he, he wants to... Um, to, to help people come into this place of a contemplative, meditative state where, where you're, just, you're just focusing on the word of God. And it's difficult because it requires you to get quiet, to get calmed down, to put away all the distractions and focus on God. That the word of God would trouble us, that we would want to better understand it. That we would spend time trying to understand what God is revealing to us. You know, uh, I have found that if the Lord is not revealing something to me, it's not because he's not revealing something to me. It's because I'm so distracted that I can't hear what he's saying. I haven't taken the time to, to spend some time with him to understand what he's trying to reveal to me. I tend to get busy listening to everything else. And not that those things are bad in and of themselves. Heck, I'm a pastor. Sometimes the things I listen to are in the context of church and Bible and reading. But first, I'm a child of God. And God wants me and him to connect. And he wants to reveal things to me just as he wants to reveal things to you. And is there a slowing down, especially in this season, right? It's like, is there a slowing down to contemplate the message that God is giving us? the Christmas message, the Christmas stories. See, the enemy, if he can't have your soul, he's going to steal your life, the life that Jesus came and died for, the abundant life that he has come to give. And one of the ways he's going to do that is just to keep you so busy with really good things that you're distracted from what God is trying to tell you. The Christmas story is God coming to us. Christmas story is that in Christ, you ready for this? We too are favored. The Christmas story is God coming to us. And in Christ, we have the presence 
and the power of his spirit living within us. That's the Christmas story. So when was the last time there's this, uh, there's this uh, Quaker term, it's called to center down. And, and that means to like, to like to just get into the presence and the power and the word of God. When was the last time you took the time to center down and hear the word of God? When was the last time that you would ponder the importance of the revelations that God is pouring out upon your life? When was the last time you just sat before him because you have been invited to come into his presence and just sat in his presence? God has come to us in the Christmas story. In verse 30, it says, But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since, well, since I'm a virgin. So that's the plan. God has given Gabriel the plan. Can you imagine a 13-year-old girl being approached by an angel telling her that she's going to get pregnant and give birth to a son? I think as we read these stories throughout the years and we become familiar with it, we, we miss the utter shock of what is really being said here. The, the scandal that is unfolding from the world's perspective here. It's doubtful that Mary understands the full context of what's happening. And, and so Gabriel tells her the significance of this child. Give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign. His kingdom will have, his kingdom will have no end. Mary, this is what's going to happen. This is how it's all going to unfold. This is how important. This is how much the favor of the Lord is rested upon you. And Mary asks a question. Well, how is this going to take place? And it's not a question that Zachariah asked in, in, in disbelief, but she wants to understand God's plan for her. She wants to understand what's going to happen. This, this big news has just come to her. She's going to get pregnant. She's 13 years old. She's uh, betrothed to Joseph, which is almost uh, as legal as marriage. How is this going to happen? I wonder if you've ever been encouraged in your faith walk to ask God questions. I mean, in belief, ask God questions. In those times of reflection, those times of meditation, those times of prayer, have you asked, hey, God, how, how do I get there? You, you said you want to do this with me. Well, how do, I, how do I move in that direction? God, how can I experience the life that the scripture talks about? What are you, what are you desiring? What are you requiring from me? 
How can I live this life in the fullest? How can I live this journey of faith in its fullest? I know you want to use me. I know you want to empower me. But how are you going to do that? Can you show me? See, these questions, these questions give life because they really require you to examine your own heart in the context of how the gospel is beginning to manifest itself from your life. The Christmas story is Jesus coming to us. The Christmas story is he has come to you and that his spirit is in you and there's favor and there's indwelling. Would you take the time to ask the question? Even if it's as simple as that term in Christ that Paul uses. God, what does it mean that I am in Christ? So Mary asks this, this, this question of belief, of trying to understand the word of God kind of troubling her. She's pressing into it. And the answers, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. The term overshadow it's kind of the same word used in the Greek Old Testament uh, when it talks about the glory of the Lord coming onto the temple and kind of filling, filling the temple space. The glory of God overshadowed that space. In the New Testament, it would be the same as <coughs> it would be the same as the Transfiguration. That time in the Gospels when um, Peter, James, and John went with Jesus on the mountain, and he was he was changed before them, and it says that that his his face was bright, and so this 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 overshadowing of God's glory, the physical representation of God's glory, this bright cloud. And I wonder I wonder if it was in this moment that like like Mary felt something physical, like like the the overpowering, the overshadowing of the shadowing of the spirit of the Lord, the power of God coming upon her. I wonder if she felt something like like the the birth of that child within her. I mean that's pure speculation on my part. I, I I just don't know. But we know now that Mary is going to have a fuller understanding of what is going to to take place. This is the miraculous virgin birth. Christ, Christ born. And Christ is born in each one of us because we have received the overshadowing of the power of God's spirit and the glory of God has fallen on you, believer. The life of Jesus is given to us by his spirit. In John chapter 3, Jesus would say that, is which, that which is born of spirit is spirit. And that same Holy Spirit that came upon Mary is the same one that is alive and well in you, Christian. That same power. And as we begin to live in this new life, we begin to live by faith. We begin to live by the Spirit. 
Paul would write in Romans chapter 8, that the Spirit itself dwells, um, bears witness with our own spirit that we are what? That we are children of God. This life comes from above. A life that we can't get for ourselves. We can't manipulate it on our own. We can't earn it. We can't behave our way in. This is the message that Gabe was sent on mission for. And he tells about her cousin, Elizabeth, in her old age. She will conceive a child. This is kind of the lead-in to Jesus. She's going to give birth to John the Baptist. He is the one calling out in the desert. Make straight paths for the way of the Lord, declaring the Lamb of God. And probably in verse 37 of this text is one of the, for me, one of the most powerful verses in all of the Bible. For no word from God will ever fail. That's God's promise. You can believe God for that. No word from God will ever fail. In John's gospel, he calls Jesus the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. The word of God will never fail. Jesus will never fail you. And I know as, as, as Christians, we, we kind of live in this, this, um, this tension of faith. Because we put our expectations on, on God. And we put our expectations on the way we believe things should kind of unfold. And how the direction of our life should go. And how circumstances should play themselves out. And we begin to judge success and failure on our own standards. And not on what God's plan may or may not be. Peter did the same thing in uh, Matthew chapter 16. Jesus said, hey, listen guys, um, I'm going to have to die and... and um, be raised again. And Pete's like, oh no, that's not going to happen to you, Jesus. Not if I can help it. Paraphrased a little bit. Jesus turns around and says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You see, in that moment, the crucifixion looked like from the world's perspective, God failed. Like the whole plan just went down the tubes. The Messiah hanging from a cross. Who's ever heard of such a thing? Messiahs are victorious. Not beaten, tortured, and killed. But we know that the word of God will never fail. And what might look like failure from a human perspective, as painful as it can be at times, is God's victory because of the cross. See, faith is confidence, the assurance of things we hope for. Assurance, the word of God will never fail. And then I love Mary's response. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. I am the Lord's servant. You know, I was wrestling this week with this idea of serving the Lord and being the Lord's servant. And what I came to this understanding is, is that I, I think as, as a church and as Christian people, we serve God. You know, we, we, we get involved in ministries and we, and we try to serve God. But, but you know, to, be, to serve the Lord and to be a servant of the Lord, 
feels like very different perspectives because I can serve the Lord in bitterness and anger and frustration. But if I'm a servant of the Lord, then whatever he asks of me, it's my privilege to do. Mary was about to be exposed as an adulteress. Think about this, moms and dads, for a minute. Your 13-year-old girl comes home and says, Mom, Dad, an angel came to me, and I'm pregnant, and I'm giving birth to God's son. Now, we can all giggle about that, but this is what happened. This young girl is betrothed to be married It's been all set up for years and years and years. And now she has to go to her parents. She has to go to Joseph. She has to go to Joseph's parents to say, I'm pregnant, but really this is God's plan. Her her consequence could be that she would be killed because of this sin. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me come true. I imagine at that point, Gabe just kind of looked at her and gave her the, and poof, he's gone. And I'm wondering, are we willing to be a servant of the Lord? I mean, I mean like that, like, like everything we have is God's for his purpose. Our our very lives. And I think it starts, I believe it starts with with the simple things and the everyday things. With God God saying to you, would you you forgive them? Because I know you were wrong, but would you go to them and begin to reconcile? With God saying, would you, would you, would you be the person to love them the way that my word says they should be loved? Would you, would you end that relationship because it's not good for you? Would, you? would you do good to them even though they've hurt you? Beyond praying, would you serve them? Would you sell everything for me and move away? Would you leave that job because it's hurting you? And I have something different for you. See, God asks us to be a servant each and every day. And just in the in the mundane little things that we experience in life. And so the posture that I'm asking for you to spend some time, like the, the, the troubling of the word of God in our lives, the pressing in, the asking questions. Are you a servant of the Lord? Are you just trying to serve him? See, that's the Christmas story. God has come to us so that we can have life and be his servant. And it's not a dirty job. children of the king.
as the song said this morning, who the Son has set free is free indeed. Free indeed. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this short little story. Empower your church to press in as Mary did. Empower your church to have her heart that we would be servants of the living God. That it wouldn't just be lip service, it wouldn't just be busyness, but it would be something that's deep down and rooted inside us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for this season. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I love you guys. We'll see you next week.